There are various ways that we can break up uh, this particular letter, but we're entering into chapters 4 through 6, and I, I prefer this first, that the first three chapters are the call of God in Christ, and 4 through 6 is walking worthy of that call. And if we get these things backwards, we do both a disservice. So if we want to jump straight to the application and not really get our minds wrapped around why we should be doing these things, um, it's going to end up falling apart. Um, <clears throat> I wasn't here on on Sunday, so I just want to do a, a, a quick breakdown and recap by basically pointing out that in that section of chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, that Paul lays out this um, this thesis statement, really, that the Father, according to the riches of His glory, would uh, grant them, those that He's praying for in this chapter, to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in their inner being so that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. I'm, I'm slightly paraphr- paraphrasing here, but it, it struck me that he wanted every piece of the Godhead to be involved in what he was asking uh, for these saints. And what he was asking was that these saints would know the multifaceted, the the four-dimensional love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that they would be filled with all the fullness of God, so that God would be glorified through Christ and the church, which really is the, the purpose of everything. We saw that established back in chapter 1. He is summing up these first three chapters and recapping the point that he's been making since since chapter 1, that God has done all these wondrous things for us through Jesus, and we therefore owe it to him to act and live and serve in, in a certain way so that he would be glorified. Were there any other thoughts about Chapters 1 through 3, specifically the the section that we covered on um, Sunday that you guys want to talk about before we jump into this section. Yes? This kind of hit me thinking about the transition of... He says, God and Jesus have done all of this, um, but he's able to do far more than what we can even consider. Mm-hmm. So... Right. Like, it's just like, okay, well, if you didn't think that was enough. Yes. And it seemed a, a fairly robust explanation. It sounds like you guys did this on Sunday. Like, what has he done? Well, he's redeemed us. He's saved us. He's raised us. He's adopted us, right? All of these different ways of describing what he's done. And then you're right. He says he could actually do more than we can even ask or imagine. Um what else can we do but respond in this way? Um, yeah, so I'm not going to go back through, but it sounds like you all had a list uh, written up on the board. Um, dozens of different ways that he uses to describe the spiritual blessings that we have through Christ. So let's go ahead and read this section. And... If I could just have a couple of volunteers. So if someone would be willing to, to read the first um, the first six verses, and then really the best break there is, is then the next ten verses. So verses one through six, 
and then 7 through 16. Okay, we've got one volunteer, 1 through 6. And then Ryan, yeah, if you could do 7 through 16. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, employ you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he captured captives, he gave gifts to men. Now what is the meaning of he ascended, except that he also descended to the lower regions, namely the earth? He, the very one who descended, is also the one who ascended above the heavens in order to fill all things. And he himself gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, that is, to build up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. So we are no longer to be children tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. But practicing the truth of love, we will in all things grow up into Christ, who is the head. From him the whole body grows, fitted and held together through every supporting ligament. As each one does its part, the body builds itself up in love. Thank you. Thank you both. So this section, really, I'd like to break it down into three chunks. Verses 1 through 3, Paul talks about these unifying attitudes that Christians are to have. In 4 through 6, he talks about these unifying truths, there are seven of them here, that apply to every Christian, that every Christian needs to know and understand and have their faith built on. And then finally, in 7 through 16, there are unifying gifts that Christ has given to all Christians so that we can be benefited, so that the body can grow. Let's talk about those first three verses. What are the attitudes in verses 1 through 3 that we will need to have in order to maintain the unity, as he says, among God's family? And why are they so important? He wants us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. How are we supposed to do that? What are the attitudes that we're supposed to have? You're for sure, we're for sure thinking about others, not ourselves. Right. And how does how does he phrase that that first one? Humility. Humility. Um we are working with our kids to understand this concept, but we all I think just we we, we all are working on putting ourselves above others. Maybe we just hide it better than children do. The idea that that we assume that we uh, deserve more or that we should go first or that we know more. And yet we are called to have an attitude of humility. What else? Gentleness. (coughs) Gentleness. And why is that important? 
How can we use that to maintain unity? Makes me think of Proverbs 15.1. You know, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We're not going to be very unified if we're just stirring the pot. Right. And it's uh, he actually uses this, this term that uh, in, later on in verse 15, the idea of speaking the truth, but doing that in love. We sometimes have, and I'm speaking to myself, uh, have the tendency to, yeah, man, I'll, I'll speak the truth. I'll hit you between the eyes with it. And that's not a spirit of love. That's not a spirit of gentleness. Um, I have found myself, uh, and maybe it's a... It's a good idea for us all to treat everyone we interact with in this way. For those of you who have children, we get used to talking to our own kids. Maybe we're we're pretty stern or pretty harsh with our own kids. But if we encounter children of the same age that belong to somebody else, do we talk to them in the same way? Usually, we're we're much more calm. We're much more, you know, thoughtful. And ah, well, please don't. Kick my child. I don't appreciate that very much. We speak calmly. How much more should we treat those who have been called and adopted who are children of God? And we look at them as not... You're, you're not mine, and you're actually children. You're, you're sons and daughters of the king. Should I speak to you in a harsh tone? Or should I use gentleness? Paul goes on to use this word over and over in his letters. He does it in Philippians and Colossians. It is one of the fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians. But uh, the one in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5 is, is very helpful to me. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And it, it, it reminds me of the, the instruction that God gave to the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. He kept giving these very specific instructions, and then he would say, do you remember? I am the Lord, and this should be reason enough for you to do what I've just told you to do. He's saying, let your gentleness, gentleness be so obvious that everyone can see it. It's evident to everyone, because God is near. God is watching. God is, is present. Greg, he said that he wrote the letter to Timothy and said similar things. Second Timothy two twenty four. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Second Timothy two twenty four. Yeah, I love it. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all. And not and kind to oh, all. I'm sorry. Able to teach mm-hmm. patient when wrong with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Yes. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Yes, and I mean, Karen and I have had conversations about this recently. How do you balance the examples that we have at times of even Jesus himself using pretty stern language to condemn those who are are in the wrong? I find myself saying, well, okay, that's justification enough for me to, and yet Jesus That was not his typical approach. Typically, he was incredibly patient and gentle. Uh, The fact that he could ask for forgiveness for the soldiers as they drove nails in his hands and calmly take that um, speaks to the the attitude that we should have. I think the ones he was not gentle with 
were the ones who were being rather hypocritical. Yes. Uh, and, you know, he knew better than anyone. He, he could see their hearts. Yes. And those are the ones he tended to come down hard on. Yes. Typically, Jesus expected more from God's leaders who should have known better. People who were familiar with the law and yet were not keeping it the way God intended. Um, God held them to a higher, uh, God held them to a higher standard. They should have known better. Um, what's another attitude that he addresses here? Patience. Patience. And it goes along with gentleness, but the idea of this issue that we're having, this may not get dealt with right away in one conversation. And am I willing to put in the time and invest over a long period of time what is necessary so that we can achieve this unity in Christ? Um, I don't have a lot of notes specific to patients because I think we all understand what is what is required there. But Bob, what did you have? This is one of those strings of... of uh uh, uh, attitudes, if you will, or <clears throat> or it, it's interesting to try to look at the four here that we have, or the but we actually have four with tolerance, of course, and uh, try to figure out: Can I be humble without gentleness? Can I be humble without right. patience? Can I be patient without humility? These are those uh, things that it all kind of ties back to Ephesians one and verse four that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, like he says in this verse, in love. Mm -hmm. Uh, It kind of echoes what it says when he started the book. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, they all go together. And you're right, we really can't have one without the other. And that final one, you said uh, yours uh, is translated tolerance. Um, The ESV says bearing with one another in love. And the idea of bearing bearing with one another is this idea that there is a weight to be carried. There is a burden to be lifted that in order to, to work towards that uh, maintaining the unity in the spirit, it's going to take work and effort. And we are willing to carry that burden because we have love one with another. Because we see them as Christ just finished with three chapters describing how valuable they are to him. We are willing to carry that burden and bear with each other. Even when they get on our nerves, even when they don't communicate well towards us, maybe they aren't coming to us in humility or gentleness or with patience. And yet we must still be willing to bear with one another in love. Um, the idea, and you've heard people say that, that marriage takes work. Um, and we see the, you know, we see the examples of people who are newly married and they're just so in love that they can't even imagine that there would ever be a conflict between them. And those who've been married for all of two months know, well, it's not going to last forever. How are you going to show love by bearing with one another? Marriage is something worthwhile, worth working for. How much more God's marriage to his bride? Um, How much more should we be willing to put forth the effort? Um, That we are, are eager to maintain the unity. He says in in verse three, this is not something that we are begrudging. It's not something, well, 
I mean, it's, it's not going to go well if we can't all work together. We've got a job to do, so let's all just kind of make this work. No, we are eager to maintain this unity because the unity isn't ours. Whose is it? In verse 3, yeah, it's the Spirit of the Lord. It, God put this thing together. We should be willing to do whatever we have to do to keep his thing together. Um, and we do it um, to achieve this, this bond of peace. Jeremy and Justin gave this example that if someone were to freely give us a gift like a sports car. We didn't have to pay a dime. It's ours to keep. And we are so thrilled and excited about that gift. But we still understand that it's going to take work to maintain that vehicle and to keep it running. As much as we love it and appreciate it and we want to show it off, we understand that we can't just leave it. Otherwise, it will not uh, accomplish uh, what what its purpose is. How much more should we be willing to invest in maintaining the Spirit? What about verses 4 through 6? What are the truths, and there are seven of them, stated in verse 4 through 6, and how are they meant to unify God's people? And you can just kind of rattle them all off. We can take them all together if you'd like. Body, one. Spirit, Hope, Lord, Faith, Baptism, God. Here we go. Why do you suppose, so before we actually get to that, that question, why do you suppose Paul feels it necessary to lay this groundwork down? And this is, this is speculation, but I think based on on the, the crux of this letter and based on some of the admonition we see him giving other churches, why do you think Paul would feel it necessary to have to, to lay this all down? Right, right? Well, the first three chapters, it's he's explaining that this isn't this unification between Jew and Gentile is not what anyone saw coming. And so he's <clears throat> continuing to reinforce that in the rest of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Because the tendency would be, right, between the Jews and the Greeks, okay, and, and the Jews actually tried to do this, if you remember. Yes, yes, yes. You can become Christians, you Gentiles, but first you have to become Jews, right? So there's a different set of rules for you so that we can all be one. And, and he's saying, no, no, there's, there's one body, right? There's, there's not a different set of rules for the Gentiles and a different set of rules for the Jews. There's not a different set of rules for the first century and a different set of rules for the 21st century. There's one body, why else? I think, Sarah, did you have a hand up? Essentially the same idea that, I mean, he talks about reconciling the two into one body and then putting the body to death on the cross and reconciling us to God. And so, I mean, if there are multiple, if there's not just one body, then the crucifixion has to happen multiple times for each one of these little subgroups. And that didn't happen. Right. And all of these other things kind of follow along if there are multiple of those, then we've got some issues. We got we have to know 
uh, am I in group A or group B? So if I'm in group A, I have to be baptized in cold water. If I'm in group B, I have to be baptized in lukewarm water. It, you know, the third one, it's got to be really hot, it's whatever. Or I'm of, of Paul and I'm of yeah. Apollos, right? They, they wanted to, and that's in, in the letter to the Corinthians, they wanted to separate themselves and, and treat each group differently. What if we had, because we do, groups that claim different revelations and not acknowledging that there's one spirit, right? That the Holy Spirit is what, what gave us this word. The Holy Spirit is what is active and, and working still today to make sure we understand God's will for us. But have you encountered people that believe they have personally received special revelation? And maybe it's different than what we read, but it's okay. Because God God laid on my heart, fill in the blank. Or God spoke to these prophets that we believe exist in our group, messages that are different than this. How how unified is that? Um, yeah, Raymond. We talked about in verse 14, so that... Uh, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Yes. He has to lay that out because I think he covers it later. Like, the reason this is important is because this is bound to happen when you think for yourself. And with this, he's laying out the oneness and unity. Uh, if, if we're left to our own uh, devices and, and thoughts, it, it doesn't go well for me. Yeah. Um, so it's, I'm not saying reprogramming. I'm saying maybe laying out um, not a new I want to say new covenant, but it is a the mystery's been revealed. So he's handing out right uh, instructions of oneness. Yes, th- this is a standard. Yeah. So keep coming back to this. Does it match? Right. Yeah, Brad. And there, I've talked to um, at least one guy that um, calls himself a Pauline Christian, and he follows just the works of Paul Hmm. and he would say that James was writing to the Jews and Jesus was teaching to the Jews so you need to kind of keep that in mind because and only listen to what Paul says so wow um, but somehow he's missed this exact thing that Paul is trying to clarify here that there isn't uh, multiple gospels but rather one for all yeah he also seemed to have missed the part in the beginning of 1 Corinthians where he says, was Paul crucified for you? <laughs> you know, or, um, or I, Paul, give, talk, talk to you about what I received from Jesus. From the Lord, yeah. I'm thinking maybe. But you see how chaotic and how disunified that would become if we don't first acknowledge, look, there is one revealed word. That's the standard. Um, in fact, God used that in the Old Testament when he said, look, if a prophet comes to you and they are doing signs and wonders and maybe the signs even come to pass, but they give you a different word than I gave to you. Back in the Old Testament, they were supposed to stone them to death. <coughs> and he said it was as easy as that. You go back and check. Or what they saying, can you find that in Torah? And if the answer is no, you are not to fear them or listen to them or let them live. And so Paul is laying this out. And he's saying, look, there's one hope. He, he lays out clearly in, in his first letter to, to the Corinthians in chapter 15 that we all share the same hope of resurrection that Christ partook of. That he was the first fruits. 
that we can experience the same thing that he did and not, as some denominations believe, that there are different rewards for different people. That if you have been granted sainthood, you get special privileges once you get to heaven. That there are different levels, as the Catholics believe. Or that there's a promise of heaven, but only for 144,000 people who've already been chosen. Sorry. And the rest of us get something kind of cool, but we basically get to hang out on a recreated planet. He's saying, no, you all get to share the same hope. And it's going to be beautiful and wonderful. But don't let anyone deceive you by, by offering different rewards. We all have the same hope. We all have the same Lord. And this is important. Um, we, we hear people talk about that I made Jesus my personal Lord and Savior. But I think too often we see people willing to make him their Savior, but not willing to make him their Lord. What does it mean when someone is your Lord? Servant. They call the shots. They get to tell you what to do. It is a master-servant relationship. And so we love the idea of someone swooping in and saving me, but our culture and, and religious organizations today don't live like they like the idea of, of someone actually telling us how we should live. There's one faith. There is one profession of faith. There's one thing to believe, one gospel. And Paul tries to clarify that in, later in, in his epistles. Look, if someone comes to you with a different gospel, not that there is a different gospel, but anything different than what I've, I've already presented to you, even if it's an angel, he says, let them be accursed. It's the idea of the gospel, the good news, that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins as proven through his resurrection from the dead. That's the good news. And if anyone else wants to present something different than that, they want to demote Jesus to maybe just a glorified angel, or they want to say, well, but then Jesus later on did these things. No, there is one faith, and, and we all profess to it. There's one baptism. And, and there are groups today that don't even acknowledge that there's one. It's kind of an optional thing if, if, if we feel like it. Um, there is one means by which we come in contact with Christ's blood and, and reenact that death, burial, and resurrection that he experienced. Romans 6 clearly demonstrates that for us. If you want to do as Christ did and die and be buried and raised again, you do that through baptism. And there's only one, one way to do that. I'm going through this quickly because I really want uh, us to spend a good chunk in, in 7 through 16. Uh, finally, there's one God and Father. We are all part of the same family, and we are all under the same father figure. And it's the father that is described in, in God's inspired word. He's not the God of our own making. He's not the God that we wish that we could have who just kind of lets us do what we want to do or a God that doesn't really care how we worship as long as we worship. Um, this is a God who has described himself very clearly in Scripture, and he's described what he wants from us. And that's the God and Father that we all need to follow. So Paul sets this bedrock. These seven things are the truths that we all need to understand. And, and from this foundation, we should um, go forward. And this helps us. How, how is this meant to unify God's people it helps us through a solid litmus test 
so that we can recognize if there is a false teaching coming into our midst. Are they teaching a different baptism or a different hope or a different Lord? Um, we can easily uh, refute those things that would contradict. So verses 7 through 16. What are the gifts given in this section? And how are they meant to protect us from disaster and stimulate growth? Well, after all of that, thank goodness for grace. Thank goodness for grace. Right? Right. And and I, I hope I don't come across uh, in that way. Too often we focus too much on one side or the other, right? So we talk about the, the, the ways that God expects us to live and we don't give enough account to the fact that none of us will ever do that right or perfectly. Um, it's why you can't take Ephesians 4 through 6 and say, do that. Because then we wouldn't understand why we should be prompted to do that and the fact that it's all couched in the grace knowing that we are weak and we are uh, fault faulted and that we are... Um, easily tempted and God is willing to show us that grace. God is willing to offer us life when we were dead. He's willing to adopt us when we were despicable. Um, So yes, absolutely. Thank goodness for grace. What does he say? And maybe that that word gifts is is kind of... uh, it's, It's not a word used in this section... But in verse 11, what is it that Christ gave to us? I look at it like assignments and, and not necessarily a hierarchy, but responsibility, uh, leadership. If, if, you, if you look at it, it yes. stresses leadership and uh, teachers. Yes. So in verse 11, it says that he, Christ, gave, uh, mine says, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And there, there is a temptation to, to put them all in a hierarchy. But the way I hear Paul talk about his apostleship, I'm not inclined to do that. Because Paul didn't do that. Paul didn't say, I'm an apostle, therefore I'm better than you all. Or my job is more important than your job. Um, but let's, let's talk about these gifts. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. And I think we've already said that here in this class. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. That in order to maintain unity, we all have to have the exact same roles or we all participate in the same way. That's not not what he's saying. Some of them were given the role of apostles. And that was a role that was eventually done away with because what, what does that word apostle mean? That's an eyewitness, right? Correct. It's it's a it's someone commissioned who has eyewitness testimony, right? Well, th- there's no one around nowadays who who can fill that role, but they were incredibly important in those early days of of the church. What about prophets? What does that word mean? Mouthpiece. Yes, someone who speaks for another, and in this case, someone who speaks for God. What about evangelists? Uh, spreaders of the gospel, uh, not limited to the congregation, that would be uh, to the world. Yeah. We, we tend to think of someone who is willing to travel and go and spread the good news, right? 
Um, my, my translation says shepherds. Some may say bishops. We understand that. That is, that is uh, a leadership among a local group. Those who are commissioned to watch over the souls of, of that group. And then teachers. And, and, and I believe this can be men and women. Because we see um, Priscilla and Aquila going about and teaching. Um, these are roles that, that many of us can take on. And this is the idea, the idea of gifts and, and why uh, I, I attached to that word. He gives this picture in verses 8, um, well, verses 7 through 10 of one who came, who ascended on high. It says in verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. I knew I didn't make that word up. <laughs> gifts is in there. The idea of someone who goes out on a military campaign often would, after gaining victory, return to their city and give gifts to, to those that are in their charge. And this idea that Christ did that. He, he first descended and he was victorious. He overcame sin and death and then ascended to, um, it says in verse 10, far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave these things as gifts, these roles as gifts. Too often, I think, we fail to treat those among us that are filling these roles as gifts given by Christ. We think of them as, as, as men and women who are doing a task, who are filling a role, taking on responsibility. I think oftentimes, especially when it comes to an evangelist, we tend to treat them as mere employees, uh, subjecting them to levels of scrutiny about their presentation style or their approach, and fail to remember that those people in those roles are gifts that God has given to us so that we can be equipped for the work of ministry and the building up of the body of Christ. And I think we get hung up too often on, well, well, how are they presenting God's word to me? And less of, are, are they presenting me viable, helpful, truthful words of God? The Corinthians actually made the same mistake when they considered Paul. You guys remember what, what they said about Paul? In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 17, uh, Paul said, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He even goes farther in 2 Corinthians 10 and 10. Paul knows how other people are talking about him. And he says, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his his uh, bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Paul writes these amazing letters, but when he gets up in front of people, his presentation leads something to be desired. I don't respond really well to that style, the Corinthians were saying. He says later in 2 Corinthians, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. 
And you could take that a couple of different ways. Has he made plain to them that he has knowledge? Or has he made plain to them that he's no good at public speaking? Maybe both. And yet, how many of us, if we heard that Paul was coming back for a gospel meeting, we'd we'd pour ourselves in here and we'd listen to him. Would we be turned off by his presentation of it? It sounds like the Corinthians were. And yet we would be foolish to overlook the fact that Paul benefited so many people, not by how he spoke, but by what he spoke. So we need to be careful, I think, not to judge those who take on these roles, uh, lest we make, make the same mistake. What kind of thoughts or questions do you all have about these gifts? Not elevating the style, but uh, you said something uh, to the effect of, you know, is it good and profitable words of God? Sometimes for me, it's helpful to say, it's, are they giving me God's word? Yes, then it is good and profitable. Yes. Period. Yes. No matter how it's coming, no matter what their other conclusions are, maybe all I can take from that is God's word. But if all I'm taking from is God's word, how that. Right. I mean, you, you think about the, the times in the Old Testament where the people would stand for hours while the Torah was read aloud to them. And how many of us would come away and just go, oh my geez, I couldn't take it. <laughs> hours and we're just letting them read? And yet that was the, that was the best thing that they could, it was God's words given to them. So if someone stands up in front of us and gives us God's word, we need to get over ourselves, I think, if I may speak bluntly. We need to get over ourselves. It may not be the best way it's presented to me, but it is the best things that I could hear. And so we need to communicate with those people who have taken on these roles, many of which, and our shepherds can tell you, are hard roles to take on. And we should say thank you for taking on that that burden. Um, yes. Would you say then that everyone who is in these roles has been gifted by God for these roles, or would you say that I could per- ever perhaps take a role that I was not really meant for, or, or you, or you know? I guess it would depend on what you mean by whether they've been gifted by God. I mean, that's what this says. Right. So if they get up and they speak the words of God. I would say they are doing God's will. It doesn't say anything in here about how they present it or whether they're really good with people or very personable. But if they're giving us God's word, um, actually, was it Tommy who talked about uh, if John the Baptist were to show up? Like a dude who's pretty rough around the edges, right? And he shows up in, in wild clothes and chowing down on locusts. And we go, man, this is this guy's not my style. But he was doing what God commissioned him to do. And he took on that role. Now, should we as teachers and preachers or whatever role we may uh, take on say, well, you know, as long as I'm preaching the word, I don't actually need to work at improving my presentation. No, we should be diligent to try our best to do whatever we can to best reach our audience. Right? We see Paul adapting his style and his approach when he's with Gentiles than when he's with Jews. And so, yes, we need to, as teachers, um, work to improve ourselves. 
Um, but I think we also, as as listeners, need to show gentleness and patience and bear with one another in love. I saw several hands, and now they're all down. Where are they? So saying there's a, in verse 13, until we um, all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and the mature manhood and the measure and the stature. So there, there's this interesting, uh, Chris talked about this, this room for growth, right? Mm-hmm. And that the reason these people are, are gifts, the reason your elders are gifts is because we are all on the same path to the same place, but we are at different mile markers. And that's nothing, yes. that's nothing to be ashamed of. That's what the system is for. When I call it a system, this is what he's laying out in, in front of us. And that it, it serves a purpose. It says, uh, equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. There's a reason that other people may be at a different mile marker than you. And you share your burden with them, and they can equip you. You know, this is like yes. we're talking about the car. Yes. Um, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Well, and, and he talks about, um, I'm, I'm going to try to to wrap up back, uh, down here in verse 16 and then show a, a short clip. Um, but he talks about how these are not the only groups of people who are doing work in the body. These are people who are given specific roles. But he talks about in verse 16 that the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Just because we we may not be standing in front of a room teaching does not make us any less valuable to the body. And just because we may have not accepted the role of an elder does not make us any less valuable to the body. Every piece needs to be working together as a body. And that's the pinky toe, and that's the heart. That's right. I was going to say, have you ever tried to walk without a toe? Right. I have not, but I hear it's difficult. Um, That includes the earlobe. That includes everything. God didn't make mistakes when he put the body together, and that includes the human body and his spiritual body. And so we are all part of this group together, and he intends for each of us to supply something. Um, I've got like six hands. I think David raised his hand first. Yeah, you were talking about you know them standing while the the word was read. Uh, we have much more ready access to the word than they did. But yet, how often do we view reading our Bible as a burden? And we need to have the attitude that they had. I think the fact that we have ready access, we take it for granted. Mm-hmm. And we need to not do that. Yeah, we need to be we need to be hungry for it for sure. Um, Karen, did you? Have I was a hand? just going to say, you know, God gave all those roles to us to help us build our faith and bring us to unity. Like it is a gift to me when anyone. When I read from the apostles and the prophets, it's a gift to the body when we have someone who's willing to stand up and speak the truth. Those are gifts to God's people, um, whether they are specifically gifted with that role. I don't think it's necessarily what it's talking about, but it's talking about how that is a gift to God's people. Yes. That we have people that are willing to get up and do those things to help build us to that unity. Yes. Because thankfully, and this should take some of the pressure off of those who teach, 
thankfully, we are not we are not called so that people would sit at our feet and learn from us. That is not our role. And so if someone is is distracted by my presentation style, I hope that they would overlook it. You're not learning from me. You're learning from Christ. It says to maintain or building up the body of Christ. And it's the knowledge of the Son of God, of the fullness of Christ. It is not about the teacher. And so showing grace to those who are doing what they can in those roles. Um, I know we had a few more hands. I do want to show uh, a clip here of the Bible study without borders um, as they speak specifically to this. Each of these people then in that role see themselves as gifts from Christ to other people. Yeah. So it's not a, a role as in here's a position I've been promoted to. I need to put I've, this title on my business card. Yeah, I hold it's, an office. No. But the but getting back to the flow of the context, they are roles that when they are filled well and people respond to the gifts that Jesus has sent, then it promotes unity and maturity and growth. And and some of the things that he says for the there's just so much we could talk about. <clears throat> the goal is to help these folks stay united and to mature, that right. they no longer be children. But then he emphasizes the value and the importance of every single Christian in verses 15 and 16. Whatever enjoys the blood. Yeah, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, every single person who belongs to Christ, joined and held together by every joint, every single person, with which it is equipped when each part, when every single part of that body is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We have this phrase in our culture based on Star Trek, the idea of the expendable crewman. You know, the guy who wears the red shirt, he's there for one episode, and you know whoever wears that red shirt, he's gone by one episode. What Paul is saying is there's no expendable crewman in the body of Christ. Everybody's essential. Everybody's valuable. I might think, well, I'm not an apostle, I'm not a prophet, not an evangelist, shepherd, or teacher. Therefore, I'm just benefiting every joint. And if you've ever had, like, those... Those little injuries, like a pinky yeah. toe yeah. or like a hangnail, and you know how much it bothers you. That's part of those attitudes coming in, bearing up with one another in love, yes. so that every joint is is nurtured and equipped, so that the body is equipping itself for the work of ministry. And maybe slowing down for just a second, and talking about the value of every saint, and talking about everyone maturing and growing and being equipped. People mature at different rates. Not everyone is added to the body at the exact same point of maturity. They're not. And so we need to be reminded. We need to have these attitudes. We need to be reminded. We all responded to these same truths. And we're all trying to respond to these gifts that Jesus gave to his church. And even though we're in different places and different baggage and different backgrounds, if we're all trying to respond and apply these things, then we're united. We're, we're in Christ. But maybe one of the things, more practically speaking, is we need to make sure we're making use of the gifts that that Jesus has given. And so if he's given apostles and prophets, then I need to respond to what they've said. I need to make sure I know what they've said. And I need to be in a position where I am hearing from 
healthy, sound, mature evangelists. Right. I'm being held accountable on a congregational level, a local level. I'm looking for ways that I can be active. In the I, I need shepherds in my life. I need elders that, that are overseers of my soul. And they, they take that job seriously. And I'm being exposed to teaching that is biblical, that's going to challenge me. It's not just what I want to hear, but it's going to challenge me to grow and change. Um, and maybe that's that's a good way to, to wrap up the discussion today. Is Am I doing that? Am I making use of the gifts that Jesus has given? Because if Jesus has given me a gift, how foolish would I be to leave it on the shelf? I need to put it down and open it up and make use of what it is. Well, I'm going to be in a dangerous situation because if I'm not growing, yeah. uh, he talks about these winds of doctrine. I will not be where God wants me to be if I don't make use of them. So that's that's Paul's admonition here, and, and I hope that this is is encouraging to us. It's what can we do to acknowledge and take advantage of the gifts that have been given to us. And and take advantage of of our elders, take advantage of these teachers, and take advantage of our evangelists and, and allow those things to do what they're supposed to do. Equip you as saints for the work of ministry and so that the body would be built up in Christ. Um, Sunday, we're going to do chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. And uh, we'll look forward to studying that uh, together. Thank you all.